Welcome to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast, where we discuss all things mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. To get more information and resources, visit the website at therapyforblackgirls.com. And while I hope you love listening to and learning from the podcast, it is not meant to be a substitute for a relationship with a licensed mental health professional. Hey, y'all. Welcome to session 10 of the Therapy for Black Girls podcast. So we've made it to the end of May in our celebration for Mental Health Awareness Month, and we are ending it by talking about our relationships with ourselves. And in hindsight, I probably should have done this episode as the first episode of May because our relationship with ourselves is really the basis and the foundation for our relationships with everyone else. So today in talking about our relationship with ourselves, we're really going to be talking about self-esteem and confidence. And our self-esteem and confidence typically come from things like our belief in our ability to solve problems, our ability to recognize our inherent talents, the value we add to the world simply by existing. It does not come from our relationship status or our status as a parent. It doesn't come from having the flyest clothes or the latest handbag or having a cute face or a body. Now, please don't get me wrong. There is nothing more beautiful or incredible than a sister who has a banging outfit and a bad beat to go with it, right? So please don't hear me say that it's not important to um, have a sense of style and look nice. I'm not saying that at all, but all of those things, all of the fly clothes and the best handbags really ring hollow if the sister who's wearing it is not self-possessed and really doesn't have a firm grip of who they are and really believes in themselves. So where do we get the damage to our self-esteem? Where do those blows to our self-esteem and confidence typically come from? It comes from things like abuse and abandonment, um, different kinds of assaults we may have experienced, invalidation from loved ones in our community. All of these things typically will chip away at our self-esteem and our confidence. And it happens really early. So a lot of times we can track and trace the the damage to our self-esteem from childhood experiences. So it happens when we only give compliments to little girls that they're pretty, but don't also mention how smart they are or mention how talented they are in other areas. It happens when we continue to stay in relationships where partners require us to change or shrink in some way to feel loved. Or even more importantly, it happens when we buy into the belief that this is the only way we are worthy of a relationship is by changing or shrinking and making ourselves small. It also happens when our favorite animated movies show the young woman's life being better only once the prince comes in to save her. So the knight comes riding in on his white horse and saves the day, um, never thinking about how can the princess save herself. So those kinds of things and the early messages that we get about a woman's ability to kind of show up for herself are typically ingrained pretty early. 
And the, it, the, the damage to our self-esteem can also happen when others feel like they know us best so that they can speak up for us and it diminishes our voice. And when others begin to speak over us and feel like they know us better than ourselves, then we don't learn to really kind of tap into our own voice and allow that to be heard loudly. So this might be a good time to do a quick self-check-in, a quick self-assessment about what your thoughts are about yourself. So grab a sheet of paper. And if you want to do this after you are completed listening to the podcast, that's absolutely okay. But grab a sheet of paper and write down all the things you believe about yourself. If you were on the outside looking in and you had to describe yourself to someone else, what kinds of things would you say? So you may want to do a first pass at this and just kind of write down everything that comes to mind and then maybe take a closer look and a more um, a more calculated look at it and see how much of the things that you say about yourself or how many of the things that you say about yourself may be superficial. Do they really mean anything when you really kind of, you know, get down to the core and the the basics of who you are? What kinds of things do you believe and say about yourself? So what can we do to bolster our self-esteem and our confidence? How can we really start to show up for ourselves in the same ways that we show up for others? So one of the first things I think is really important in establishing self-esteem and confidence is traveling. Um, And this doesn't have to be, um, you know, international across the globe kind of travel, though all of that is great if you can. Um, But I think traveling and just getting exposure to new experiences really can do a world of good for your self-esteem and confidence, especially if you are traveling internationally to a place that um, where people don't speak the language that you speak. I think that you are then forced to kind of stretch out of your comfort zone um, and really show up for yourself in ways that you typically wouldn't just kind of hanging hanging around in your typical neighborhood. So travel, I think, is really important for establishing self-esteem and confidence. One of the second ways I think you can really improve self-esteem and your confidence is by living alone if you can. If this is financially possible and you are in a stage of your life where this is okay, then living alone, I think, really helps to improve your confidence and self-esteem as well. Um, and again, in, in, in similar, similar ways to the traveling, you're really kind of forced to figure out what you're made of when there's not somebody right there to kind of call on for help. So living alone, having to figure out all of those Um, adult kinds of decisions like, you know, connecting your utilities and um, what happens the first time, the circuit breaker trips, you know, all of those kinds of things, how to call in a repairman to get things done. All of those things really improve your confidence. The third thing I think that you can do to improve your self-esteem and confidence is to learn a new hobby or take on a new challenging project. So this might be learning a new language or learning how to play an instrument you've always been interested in. Um, it could be challenging yourself to a budget um, this year. So do you want? Do you have new financial goals for yourself that you'd like to achieve? Anything that you can think of that will stretch yourself and um, allow yourself to be successful could be a good way to develop and improve your self-esteem and your confidence. So that might be um, maybe like training for a marathon or things like that. Anything you can think of that would really kind of take you out of your comfort zone and allow you to participate in something new, You then it shows you like, oh, okay, I really can do that thing that I thought was really difficult. 
The fourth thing I think that is really important to think about when we're talking about improving self-esteem and confidence is recognizing possible threats to our self-esteem. So things like being in grad school or being in work environments or other environments that are filled with racism or microaggressions can really be um, a threat to your self-esteem because it's it starts to make you question yourself and your abilities when it's really not about you and more about the racist or um, hostile environment that you you may find yourself in. So learn to kind of recognize what things are threats to your self-esteem and make sure that you realize that that is outside of you and not within you. A fifth thing that you can do to improve your self-esteem and confidence is to volunteer. So very few things help to kind of make you feel good about yourself and the community that you may be in than giving back. It's really important for the community and it typically makes you feel good about yourself. The sixth thing that you can do is to deepen or develop new spirituality or faith practices. So if you have a faith background or this is something that you feel like would be really important, then I encourage you to explore what kinds of things feel good to you. Um, and, and this may not necessarily be the faith or spiritual background that you were raised in. Um, it sometimes takes you getting a little older to realize this is not the best fit for me, but something else definitely could be. Um, and I think that you may have to do a little bit of exploration to find something that really feels good to you. But I think feeling connected to a higher power and something that is bigger than you really helps you to get some perspective and can help to improve your self-esteem and confidence. The seventh thing that you can do um, to improve self-esteem and confidence is to engage in some type of journaling or meditation. So I think that it's really important that we engage in some kind of regular practice, maybe not daily, but regular, whatever regular will mean for you, right? Um, something that allows us to be quiet and still with our thoughts. And I know that this may be uncomfortable for a lot of people because we are rarely quiet and disengaged from things, right? We always have our phone in our hands or something going on. Um, but I think that a part of how our voice becomes small or lost is by us not really being able to hear it over all the other noise in our lives. But when we make a practice of regularly making sure that we can hear it, then our voice becomes stronger. So taking some regular time to really be quiet and still, and this can be journaling, it could be maybe some kind of yoga, meditative practice, whatever, again, will feel good for you. And sometimes you have to, again, try a couple of different practices to see something that will really fit for you. But I definitely encourage you to find your thing. And then the final thing that we can do to make sure that we are improving our self-esteem and confidence is making sure that you are finding yourself in affirming and validating circles. So this goes back to the conversation we had in session six of the podcast talking about friends, um, making sure that the people that you spend the most of your time with actually are affirming and validating of you. And this may be difficult um, because there may not have been much you could do about having an invalidating environment as a child. And because of any childhood trauma, you may actually find yourself in adult relationships that are also invalidating because it's what you know. It's what feels familiar. But I want to challenge you to take a look at the people that you spend the most time with and to do an assessment and to see do those people really celebrate and affirm you because of the essence of you or is it more about what you can do for them? So the people that you spend the most time with, do you feel like they really affirm and celebrate the pure essence of you and not just your ability to do or care or whatever for them? 
so a, another quick assessment for you. So these are some of the issues um, that I typically work with with women. And, you know, a part of my reason for starting for therapy for black girls was to help us really to get clearer and have a better understanding of how these kinds of issues pop up in our lives. And so in taking that step further, if you are in the Atlanta area, I am opening enrollment for my summer shift sessions. My shift sessions are um, my name for group therapy in my practice, and they're designed to be small group experiences, ideally six to eight people who come together on a weekly basis to give each other feedback and support about how we're showing up in the world and how we might do this differently to be more in touch with who we truly want to be and versus who others expect us to be. So if you like more information about that, or if you already know that this is something you'd love to be a part of, then I'd encourage you to take a look at the website. The um, destination for that is therapyforblackgirls.com backslash shift, S-H-I-F-T. And you'll be able to read more about what the groups are, um, get a better understanding of it, and then sign up if you're interested. And that will be starting this summer. Okay. So this week, we also have an on the porch question with Dr. Joy, and this one is all about how to get support while you're in a graduate program in counseling. So the question states, I am a graduate student in clinical psychology, and I have a question about self-care from a therapist's perspective. I'm beginning to see that I should probably beef up my own mental health resources, especially as the demands of school and training increase. I don't really feel comfortable utilizing supervision as substitute therapy sessions like many of my white colleagues. I also have concerns with seeing someone in the community because I'm in a very rural area and I may one day have to collaborate with these other clinicians. I feel that I have exhausted the support of my cohort members. We're all super stressed right now, so it's difficult to lean on one another. I'm wondering what, if anything official, you do to keep your own issues at bay. Also, how would you recommend navigating a relationship with a therapist in a small community? I already do the basics, i.e. work out when I can, set boundaries when necessary, and watch my shows. Thanks. So thank you so much for writing in, and I definitely want to give you some feedback about this. Um, so a couple of things that kind of jumped up, jumped out at me. Um, well, first of all, congratulations on continuing in your program. I think that it's really necessary to have more black women in the field. So I'm super excited to hear that from you and wish you the best with continuing your studies. Um, so the first thing that kind of really jumped out at me was you talking about um, how your white colleagues use supervision as a substitute therapy session. Um, and I, I'm familiar with what you're talking about, although, as you've kind of mentioned, um, that is not appropriate. So supervision for counselors who are in training is really an opportunity for you to give feedback about um, how you're progressing in your work with clients. And though sometimes some of our own stuff does come out in supervision because we're human and sometimes our human issues get activated by working with clients. So sometimes definitely those kinds of things will come up in supervision, but it really is not the place um, to get into like a therapeutic kind of conversation around those things. Um, so you are right in thinking that you should not be using supervision as a substitute for therapy. 
Um, and I would encourage you to look into video sessions. So a lot of therapists um, are providing um, online spaces for you to be able to do counseling now. So um, a lot of us will use something like Skype. Um, so they are HIPAA compliant platforms that are similar to Skype, but um, more private and more confidential than Skype, um, where you can talk to a counselor who um, may be licensed in your state. So I would encourage you to look um, maybe at areas maybe further away from where you're located to see if other therapists in your state are offering online sessions and to see if you can sign up with one of those people. Because I do think that it is important if you're in a small area um, to to try to find a provider who may be further away because you also never know who might be working with the program and who might um, be coming in for like a guest lecture or a supervision position. You just never know. So I do think it's cautious if you can to try to seek your own um, clinical services away from campus and away from your immediate community. Um, you also asked, what if what do I do to kind of keep my own issues at bay? Um, so I highly recommend therapy, which is what you're seeking, um, though I don't currently have a, a therapist of my own. I have in the past and highly encourage that for everybody, but especially people who are in the mental health field, um, just because I think it's important for you to have a place to kind of talk through and make sure you are getting good care as you're attempting to care for other people. So I encourage you to find someone to work with. Um, I, I do also think it's really important to have a good group of colleagues that you talk with um, to kind of check in about issues, because, again, you know, some of our human issues can come up as we are providing care to other people. And so I think having colleagues to talk about, to talk with who are familiar with what's going on with you um, and familiar with the kinds of cases that you may be dealing with could be a good um, strategy for you to be able to get some support. Um, I understand that you may not be able to do that with your cohort members now that everybody is stressed with the end of the semester and things like that. But you may also be able to find that online. Um, so I'm a member of a lot of different Facebook groups about um, that are kind of support for mental health clinicians. And though all of them are not um, like a supervision based kind of thing, you likely could at least find some other people to connect with that would be a good opportunity for you to get some support in the field. Um, so one of the the biggest ones, I think, is Black Therapist Rock. Um, that's a Facebook group and a community even beyond Facebook that offers a lot of support for Black people in the profession um, who to want to kind of connect with on one another and provide opportunities and, um, you know, just really be able to help each other out. So I think if you look on social media, you can definitely find um, a lot of support, especially if you're a student. Um, you know, people who already have kind of graduated and been licensed do tend to like to help out and, you know, make sure that other people feel welcomed into the field. So I think that you probably could find some support online as well. So thank you so much for providing that question. I do hope that you um, will get something out of that feedback and that it may be helpful to anyone else who's listening who may have similar questions. So that is the conclusion of our podcast for today and the end of our celebration of Mental Health Awareness Month. I do hope you've enjoyed the relationship series. We've talked about relationships with mom, relationships with friends, relationship with ourselves today, and also our relationship with our children. And we will be continuing the podcast episodes next month. So we will, this is the conclusion of the relationship series, but we'll have fresh topics for you next month.
If you have any questions that you'd like to get some feedback about, please send it to podcast at therapyforblackgirls.com. And please make sure to let me hear your feedback on social media. The hashtag for the podcast is TBG in session. And make sure to tag me on Facebook, Twitter, or on Instagram. On Twitter, you can find me at therapy for the number four B girls. And on Instagram and Facebook, you can find me at therapy for black girls. And please make sure that you're also sharing these episodes with your friends. I really enjoy seeing you guys tag your friends and sharing and talking about all of the things that you're learning and insights that you're getting from the podcast. So please keep it up and make sure that you're sharing this with your friends. I'm looking forward to continuing the conversation with you guys real soon. Take good care.